there's been some speculation of what this star that the Magi followed actually was. Some have wondered maybe it's grouping of Jupiter and Saturn and another planet coming together, that, that this was the star that the Magi followed. Others say, well, perhaps it's a supernova. A star went supernova at around the time that Jesus was born, and that this was the thing in the sky that was seen that the Magi followed. And others think it's some sort of comet. There's various explanations, all astrological in nature, and especially a proliferation of astrological conjectures for what this star would have been in the last couple hundred years. There's such a focus on, well, what is the nature of this star? What possibly could have led the Magi to this place in Bethlehem? Now, before we get carried away with what astrological phenomenon this could be, astronomical, there's a line from St. John Chrysostom that steers us away from perhaps just um, a scientific, natural point of view of this star. He says, that this star was not of the common sort, or rather not a star at all, but some invisible power transformed into this appearance is in the first place evident from its very course. For there is not any star that moves by this way. So very early on in the church, we have a church father who is skeptical that this is just a normal star. In addition, another scholar pretty early on lists all these discontinuities with heavenly bodies. First, this star shone by day and by night. It was seen by the Magi, but not by others. It does not move according to the stars or planets. It disappeared and then later reappeared. It pointed out a place where the child Jesus was, which is way too specific for anything in the sky to do, for a particular location for a child to be born. So given all of this, it's unlikely that this is some easily explained phenomenon of an astronomical supernova or coincidence of several planets. The interpretation that many have actually put forward is that this star is actually an angel messenger. And this is typical in some nativity scenes. You see a star or an angel located at the top leading the Magi forward. And this shouldn't be surprising to us. There's numerous places in the scriptures that equate stars and angels. For example, in the book of Revelation, we hear that the devil swept down a third of the stars of heaven which represents a third of the angels. In addition, in Revelation, we hear the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And even in the Old Testament, in Baruch, we hear the stars shone in their watches and were glad. God called them and they said, here we are. We can see that the stars and the angels are almost synonymous in many of these texts. And what it merely shows is that there's something deeper going on this great revelation to the Gentiles, this star that led these wise men from afar who were not from Israel, but rather the beginning of salvation coming not just to the Israelite people, but to the entire world. There's something far greater at play than just some natural causes. Now, what's interesting is I think that this whole debate about the star is actually a microcosm for how we approach God coming into human history in general. 
So since the Enlightenment, since the modern scientific revolution, we've constantly sought for whatever astronomical way to explain this star. We've abandoned the classical thinking of, well, an angelic being is at play here. We're grasping for any possible cause. We have our own preconceived notions for how this star, how this miracle could have come about. We have to remind ourselves, take a step back. The Lord has taken on human nature. The God creator of the universe, who made everything out of nothing, took on human flesh. And we would be surprised that he sent an angel instead of Jupiter and Saturn to lead the wise men to a place in Bethlehem. It should not surprise us. Miracles happen. This miracle happened the greatest of miracles. Second greatest miracle is the Eucharist itself, that we're able to receive him body, blood, soul, and divinity. And yet, we believe in miracles. They happen every day for us. But the striking thing is the two figures before us, or the two groups that we see, are those who try to fit the coming of God into preconceived notions, and those who abandon preconceived notions and are willing to let God affect their life in whatever way God enters in. And we have the two groups. It's Herod and the Magi. For Herod, his preconceived notions of this new king is it has to be a threat to his earthly power. This king must be a king who's after my piece of the pie, and therefore he needs to be eliminated. So that's why we see Herod try and inquire where this child is from all the people who are troubled in Jerusalem. And when he's foiled by the Magi who return by a different way, he seeks to destroy the child by taking the lives of all the children around Bethlehem. Now that's one approach based on preconceived notions to protect what's mine and to fend off anyone, even God, encroaching in on that. But the Magi are interesting. I don't believe that these were wise men who had just been running around following every random star that appeared in the sky. I think that they were very intelligent men, very deliberate, and very inspired by what they saw, very open to the Lord. So when they saw this avenue of grace and God entering into the world, they were able to be moved. They weren't constrained by preconceived notions. They didn't try to make this star something else or fit into uh, any sort of preconceived idea of what stars should do. Instead, because they had eyes of faith, they were ready to be led by this star to this new king. They were able to see it, and they were able to follow it. That sort of way of receiving God's action in our lives is much more robust. It doesn't say, well, God, you're supposed to be in the church building, and if I have an inspiration to do anything outside the church building, well, I'm not going to follow that. That's my preconceived notions had God contained within this place, and it doesn't drive me to do actions outside of here, or it doesn't cut into my piece of the pie. Oftentimes, we can approach spiritual inspirations as threats to personal time and threats to what my notions are for my life rather than 
open avenues to see God enter into my life. So I'll say that a different way. Oftentimes, we see God's inspirations and promptings in our life as an affront to my freedom and really the way that I want to live my life. And instead, we should see it as an invitation to have God welcomed into our life to really have it transformed in a a new direction, something that's completely unexpected, but something much better. So the same question that was posed to the Magi and to Herod, which is how will you deal with this revelation? The same question that's posed to us with this star. Does it matter if it's a supernova or if it's an angel? No, we shouldn't try focusing on trying to control and understand every aspect of this mystery. But the same question posed to Herod and to the Magi is also posed to us. Are we open to letting Christ enter into our lives in an unconventional way, in a surprising way, and in a way that may lead us to give up expectations we have for our own life, expectations we have for how to use our time, and perhaps even the notions that we thought God could operate within. So this great feast of the Epiphany is an opportunity to not only celebrate the light of Israel shining to the Gentiles and inviting all peoples to enjoy salvation, but also an invitation for us to welcome the Lord into all aspects of our life, not being territorial with our time or our notions of what our life should be, but letting that radical presence enter in and transform us wherever he may lead.